1 John chapter number 4, 1 John chapter number 4, and as we look at this this morning, we think about, uh, of course, Valentine's Day, and uh, I love my church, and I love the Lord. I want to look at this morning uh, proofs of God's love for us, proofs of God's love for us. You know, there's, uh, it's one thing uh, to say that I love you, but it's another thing to show that you love him, love someone. And, uh, and so there's a lot of uh, differences between those two things. So 1 John uh, chapter number 4, and just one verse of scripture, verse number 10, I want to look at the proofs of God's love. The Bible says in 1 John 4.10, herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Let's stop there and let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. And God, we thank you for your great love that you've shown towards us. And God, as we look at it, may we be reminded of truly how much you do love us. God, I pray that you would, uh, I pray that you'd use me. I pray, Father, that you'd speak through me. I pray, Father, that you would touch each and every person that's here and each and every listener online. And God, I pray that you would, uh, that you would just move and work as only you can. And God, may we realize the great love that you have for us. And Father, may we be very aware of that this morning. In Jesus' precious name, I pray, amen. As we look at 1 John 4.10, uh, and we see that verse, uh, it says, uh, herein is love. So many times we think about love, and we think, well, we love the Lord, and we ought to love the Lord. But if you think about this, it says here, not that we loved God, but that He loved us. And you think about how much God loved us, and you think about the fact that uh, the, it says in another place that, uh, that we love Him because He first loved us. And, uh, and if He didn't love us, we would be incapable of showing love toward God. And so the whole idea really of love is that, uh, that He loves us and showed us that love and proved to us that love. Uh, and because of that, we can recognize that, realize that, and we can reciprocate that. We can send it back to Him and say, hey, because He loved us and He taught us how to love, then we also can love Him. And so if we look at this this morning, uh, I want to look at some proofs of God's love. And even before we get into our text, it really has to do with the text. The first place that, or the first proof rather, of God's love is in Scripture in general. Uh, you know, there's something about uh, writing something down. I've thought about this a lot, and uh, you know, when we first, when we had to get houses in, in Peru, and we moved, and we'd go from here and there, there was always an extensive contract. You didn't just go in and say, uh, man, I'd like to rent your house. Uh, what's the price? You give you the price. You'd shake hands and say, all right, it's a done deal. We'll pay for it, and, uh, and that's that. No, it didn't work that way. Uh, there was extensive paperwork that was written down. There was a contract, and sometimes uh, those contracts were really lengthy, and sometimes they were short, and, and you'd have to read over them. And I'm sure that when you bought your house, now when I bought my house, I didn't go down and just say, all right, I'll pay that much for the house, shake hands, and you're all done, and, and everything's good. No, there was extensive amount of paperwork that was involved. 
you had to write everything down and it had to be agreed to. And, and, uh, and at the end of that, man, you signed like 50 gazillion pieces of paper so that you can finish off, you know, signing for your house and all of this. And, and, uh, and it was all written down. And, and sometimes you'll go back and you'll say something will happen and you'll be like, well, I don't remember that. And you go back through the paperwork and sure enough, oh, Oh, there it is written down. Yeah, I guess that was in there. I guess they got me there and I didn't realize that was going to take place because it's written down and it's nice to have not necessarily a contract written down. Sometimes uh, it can be helpful, though. Uh, but but as we think about God's love, uh, it's proved through Scripture. You think about the Word of God and everything really that we know about God comes from this book right here. We wouldn't know very much about God. I remember hearing one preacher one time, uh, and I always love this message, and his introduction is just kind of a, a catchphrase, but he, he says this. He says, God's got two books. He says his indoor book, the Bible, and his outdoor book, Nature. And certainly you can learn a lot from nature, but really, apart from saying, well, there is a God, you really don't know who God is or what he has done other than that he was very organized in creating all of the universe. And so we have to have the Word of God. And, uh, and even in the very beginning of the book, uh, the Bible opens up in Genesis 1-1 and it says, In the beginning, God. You don't even get four words into the Bible and you realize that God exists. That there is a God. And not that He, he was not created in the beginning of Genesis. He already existed in the book of Genesis and therefore he existed before that. It's just a statement of fact that in the beginning, God, he is there. He was already there. And we find that uh, he is the authority. As you go down, uh, you get to the fifth word. In the beginning, God created. And you find out, oh, God is the author of everything that exists. Now you can study, uh, you can study nature and you can come to a conclusion that there must be something that is bigger out there than us. But it's nice to have a Bible that defines for us who that is and how he created everything. And so in the very beginning we find that God reveals himself as God and as the authority. Not only that, but you only get a few chapters in and we find that he created everything that exists. He created animals. He created mankind. And then after that, uh, you'll find in Genesis chapter 3 that God desires to have a relationship with mankind. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 3 that, uh, that, that God uh, came to, to walk with Adam in the cool of the day. And you get the impression that this was not the first time that this took place, but rather was a regular occurrence because God desired to have a relationship with Adam and Eve. And, uh, and when he came, and of course Adam had sinned and therefore hid himself, and he comes and he calls out to him and he says, Hey, where art thou? In other words... I desire to walk with you. I desire to have a relationship with you. And we learn this how? Because it's all written down in the Word of God. And listen, it's not just Adam that God desires to have a relationship with. It is every single person. We are all part of His creation. And He desires to have a relationship with us. 
We know that because Scripture defines that and it tells us that. You can go on. We won't go through the entire Bible because time would not allow it. But, uh, but you get over there to the book of Isaiah and chapter 6 and, uh, and there's a vision that the prophet saw and he was, had a, a glimpse into heaven and in heaven he saw a, a host of, uh, that would cry out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Not only do we, do, do we find out that God is the author of everything and that God desires to have a relationship with mankind, but we, you, you read the Bible and it doesn't take you long to figure out that God is absolutely holy in everything that He does. And you say, wow, that is, for us, that's incomprehensible. It really is. We can't fathom perfection. We can't fathom uh, uh, the holiness of God. We strive for that. Some of us, uh, some of us probably suffer with what I would call uh, perfectionism. We like to do everything exactly right, and and man, we get frustrated with ourselves when it doesn't turn out right, and and we 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 try hard to make sure that everything uh, goes well and goes according to plan. By the way, that's why I'm a whore. I don't I don't draw pictures at all because I can't do it perfectly. I mean, every time, I mean, even my stick men look bad. I mean, that's just bad. And so I just, I abandoned drawing. I'm like, man, that is not me. I can't do that. And, and, and we can't fathom the very perfection and holiness of God because we as humans are flawed by nature. Uh, we're imperfect by nature. And so we have a hard time wrapping our head around the fact that God is holy and God is just and everything about God is absolutely perfect and pure. But yet the scripture reveals that to us. And so he's saying, hey, I want, I want you to learn about me. I want you to know who I am. He, he wrote it all down for us. And he is holy. And listen, if you were to, if you were to uh, write things down about yourself, some people keep journals. And, and they're very private about them, and they, that's their journal, and they'll, they'll go through great extents to hide them or uh, make sure, and I never had a sister growing up, and I wasn't much of a writer, and I don't think my brothers were either, and, uh, and so we didn't really have journals in our house, but really when, when, uh, when, when you have a journal, you kind of want to keep it, that's mine, that's, private, that's stuff about my life. And God records everything about his life, but he shares it with us and says, hey, I want you to be aware of who I am. In other words, I care about you and I love you and I want you uh, to be able to see and have a glimpse and an understanding of who I am. And so he reveals himself even in our text here, here in his love, not that we uh, loved God, but that he loved us. And not only does he reveal himself and his character and who he is and, and all about God, and there's so much more that we didn't cover uh, that is revealed, I just picked a few things to reveal, but he also reveals his very love for man. And that's found right here in our text. Uh, here in his love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. You look at mankind and you say, man, I'm amazed that God would love us. It's easy right now to look around and say, man, this world 
is a mess. I was last night we went to hear Brother Sam Davis and preach and, and he was preaching and he said this thought, it was just a side comment even in his message. He said, he said, right now as Christians, you know, we look to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and we're we're excited because not because we want to see him, but rather we look around and we say, Man, I want out of here. Are you kidding me? Send me out of the burning house. I mean, you know, I, I want out of here. Uh, but he said we ought to really uh, look forward to his coming, not because we want to escape the problems of the world, but rather because we love him and we want to be with him and see him. That's a great truth there. But so often we look around and, and, and it's easy to look around and see all the problems in the world today and the chaos and, and uh, really to, to see the, uh, the descendants of man into uh, such a, a wicked, vile uh, mindset and lifestyle that exists. And as Christians, oftentimes we look at that and, and we're frustrated with it and, and we become upset with it. But let me remind you this, that, that the Bible says in Romans chapter 5 and verse 8, but God commendeth His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We look around the world and we're disgusted by the vileness that takes place and the wickedness that is in this world. And don't get me wrong, God does not approve of that sin and God does not approve of the wickedness and the vileness that's going on. But nonetheless, He loves them just the same. He cares about those people. And He wrote that down for us in His Word. Why? Lest we forget. Because we could easily forget. God cares about those people. Sometimes we think, what has taken God so long? Why hasn't he come back? Uh, why is he delaying his coming? I mean, man, we're ready to go. We're, we're done with all that is here. Uh, but yet he is still delaying. And I think uh, because he cares about people that are still here, even in their wicked, vile state, he wants them to have an opportunity to trust the Lord Jesus Christ as their own personal Savior, to repent from their sins, to turn from their wickedness. And he wants them to have that opportunity why? Because God cares about people. God commendeth His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners. We look around and, and I'm glad you're here this morning. And you look great. We look around and man, we, you know, it's easy for us to think, well, God loves us. God loves us right here. I mean, after all, we're in His house and we read His Word and we come, we're ready for church and, and, and certainly, and, and God does love us, don't get me wrong. But God doesn't love us exclusively. He loves everyone and He loves the world. And we have a hard time sometimes wrapping our mind around that. And we have a hard time understanding that. And, and he does not approve of their sin. And he does not love their sin. He loves the sinner, but he does not approve of the sin. All right, We understand that. But we're, we're just understanding that he's revealing that he loves mankind. God knew when Adam sinned that Adam had messed up. God knew that he had broke uh, the commandment that, that God had given him. But nonetheless, God came down to earth... And, and he wanted to walk with Adam, and he gave him opportunity. And he cried out, where art thou? Why? Because God is interested in man, and he loves mankind. And he's revealed that in his word, and I'm grateful for that. And not only that, but he reveals in his word his interaction with man. 
John 3, 16, of course, says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But the second verse then goes on, and it says, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And listen, he revealed to us his compassion and his care and his interaction and his purpose for coming, that Jesus Christ would come to this world, uh, again, not to condemn the world, but to give it an opportunity to trust Him as their own personal Savior and to die on the cross. And listen, Scripture reveals all of this about it. It's written down in His Word, and it's a proof of His love because He left us a copy so that you and I can read it, so we can take it home, and we can go back and we can review what He said, and we can find out, oh, listen, He does love us. He does care about us. He does want a relationship with us. We find all of that written in the Word of God, and He's written it as a proof of His love for us uh, so that we could have a copy, we could go back, and we could review what He said in His Word. And so we find that Scripture is a very proof of His love. Not just scripture, but look there in verse number 10, we find not only the fact that he wrote it down for us and we have it written in our Bibles, but, uh, but we find also his son in verse number 10. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. You say he sent his own son. I read through, I was reading, uh, I don't remember where the verse was, there's two or three verses, but, uh, uh, but one of them popped out of my mind and it said, it said that he sent his only begotten son. I read that and I thought about that and I thought, God was wise to clarify that there was only one son that he created in Mary's womb and gave birth and took on the form of man. And he was God-man. He was 100% man and 100% God. But there was only one of them. Why was he wise in, in saying, my only begotten son? Because uh, the Bible says later in 1 John, matter of fact, it warns us that there will, be, uh, there will be antichrists that will pop up and say, well, I'm a Christ and I'm a Christ and I'm a Christ. And there will be those who will claim to be God, but they are not God because there's only one begotten Son of God, and that is Jesus Christ. So we find that a proof of His love, a token of His love, is not just the Scripture that He left for us, but rather that the Son, Jesus Christ, would come to this earth. What an incredible token of His love, an evidence, a proof that He loves and cares about us. As you think about why did Jesus come? Uh, well, sin took an effect on this world. We talked about Adam and how he fell into sin. But the Bible says in Romans 5.12, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. In other words, they inherited uh, the sin of Adam, and from that sin as well, they also inherited the punishment of that sin, which is death, the Bible says. The book of Revelation, it talks about that in chapter, uh, I believe it's 20 or 21 there, and it says, uh, and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire, and this is the second death. 
That's the payment for sin. And listen, sin, as we've inherited it, uh, it means that we are all sinners and we all have, have done something that is uh, wrong in God's eyes. And as you, we think about Scripture and the fact that He revealed Himself, that He is holy, and listen, the holiness of God says, hey, there is sin, therefore there must be a payment for that sin. Somebody's got to pay for that sin. And we are destined to pay for that sin, except for Jesus Christ came to this world. He died on the cross. Why did He do that? So many times you talk to people and, and they say, well, yeah, I know Jesus came and I know Jesus died on the cross and I know that Jesus rose again from the dead, but why did He do that? They say, well, and they may sometimes even mindlessly repeat to pay for our sins, but they don't grasp the, the concept of the love and the sacrifice that it took for Jesus Christ to stand up and say, listen, I will take their sins, their sins, my sins, your sins, everyone's sins upon myself and pay for the sins of the lost people. That's what that word propitiation means. It's a big word, but it simply means the atoning sacrifice, the death of Christ in appeasing divine justice. In other words, uh, Jesus Christ did not sin and therefore was not worthy of death. Because the Bible says the wages of sin is death. If Jesus did not commit sin, which he did not, he was not worthy of death. And therefore, by all rights, should not die. Then why did he die? Because he took our punishment upon himself. And he took our sins upon himself. And, and as the Bible says here in verse number 10, uh, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins, the appeasement, the sacrifice, the atonement for our sins that we have. And we find that uh, the sin had rendered us dead, but Jesus Christ offers us salvation. What a blessing to know that Jesus Christ would pay for our sins on the cross of Calvary, and He desires to save us. John 10.10, 10, the Bible says, uh, The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. But Je Jesus is talking and He says, I am come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Jesus is interested in saving life. And that's why Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to this world so that He could die. It is a proof of His love. Listen, He's given us Scripture to teach us all about uh, God. He's given us Scripture to tell us all about the Son, Jesus Christ. Do you realize that we wouldn't know what happened with Jesus Christ if it had not been recorded? You ever play that, tell, that, that old game, Telephone? That's what we called it. I don't know. There's probably 50 names to it. But you start over here and, and I would whisper something to, to this person and they'd whisper it to the next, the next person, next person, next person, and go all the way around. And by the time it'd get all the way over here, I'd say, the cow is brown. And they'd start out and they would say, there once was a horse that took the milk to the market. And that's how much it changes. And that's just, 
that's just an auditorium this size. I mean, could you imagine how much the story of Jesus Christ would change had it not been recorded for us in Scripture? But we have it all written down, and it is a proof of His love. And the fact that His Son came and He took our place on the cross of Calvary is a proof of His love. He didn't just say, hey, I love you. He said, I'm going to prove my love on the cross of Calvary by taking your punishment and your sin and your guilt upon myself and covering all of it. A propitiation for our sins. We have the Scripture as a proof of His love. We have the, the Son and, and the sacrifice of His Son in coming to die on the cross uh, for our sins. Not only that, but we have the security of a believer. John 3, 16, I quoted it earlier. It's probably one of my uh, favorite verses to use for eternal security because it, we know it. And it says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. It's not a trick question. When is the end of everlasting? There's no end. It does not run out. And therefore, God offers to us everlasting life without an end to that. And once you trust Jesus Christ as your own personal Savior, once you are born again, uh, listen, you are saved for all of eternity. The Bible says here in 1 John chapter 5, or right there, look with me at verse number 13. You may have to turn the page uh, one way or the other, but uh, 1 John 5, 13, I love this verse. It says, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God. So he's writing to people who have trusted Jesus Christ as their own personal Savior. And he goes on and he says that ye may, uh, that ye may know that ye have eternal life and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. And he's saying, listen, that you may know that you have eternal life. He's not saying that uh, you may have eternal life, or if you live good enough that you may acquire eternal life. He's saying that you can know with, beyond any shadow of a doubt that you have eternal life. How? Not by your goodness, but by putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ that He will save you. Uh, everlasting life is what he gives you and that you can know that you have eternal life life without end what a blessing to know that hey once we're saved uh, that we're always saved and, and listen we'll mess up in our life but a believer won't like it you won't be comfortable doing it but we'll mess up but listen that doesn't take away our salvation God has saved us eternally. That's a proof of His love. He said, I love you so much. Your salvation doesn't depend upon your actions and your works. You could not get it by works and you cannot lose it by works. I love you so much that when I cover it and when, when, you are, uh, when your name is written down in that book of life, when you've trusted Jesus Christ as your own personal Savior, you are saved for all of eternity. He said, you can know it. What a blessing to know that we have security in Jesus Christ. But not just that. 
we have the scripture, we have the son, we have the security of a believer. And I want you to notice this as well. We have the second coming of Jesus Christ. Oh, He died on the cross, yes, and He rose again from the dead. And, and the Bible says that He gave many infallible proofs. And, and He was here, uh, if I'm not mistaken, 40 days, I think is what the Bible says, and of which He showed Himself to uh, many different brethren and, and had many infallible proofs. But then after that, he, he, he ascended up into heaven. And you say, man, where's, where is He now? He's sitting at the right hand of the throne of Father. He's in heaven. He's alive. You say, man, I, I wish I could see him. I wish, I wish I could be with him. And he said, listen, he said in, in John chapter 14, the gospel of John, he said, um, let not your hearts be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. He said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again. He promised. He said, hey, I'm not going to leave you. I, I'm not going to love you and, and save you and give you the scripture and then just abandon you and say, well, you're on your own. You're all taken care of. You're safe. But he said, I will come again. And he is going to return. And he is going to fulfill that promise. And, and listen, it may be today. It may be tomorrow. It may be 10 years from now. It may not be in your lifetime. We don't know when he's going to come. The Bible is very clear that no one knows when he's going to come back. But he left us the promise that said, hey, I will come again. It was repeated again in the book of Acts chapter 1. I, I right, right along their line, I was going to say 8. It's not 8. Uh, it's a little further down. Uh, when all the disciples were standing there, Jesus had just ascended up into heaven. And all the disciples are standing there with their mouths wide open. They just watched a man float off of this earth. That's something I haven't even seen. There, I'd be the same. I'd be standing there, mouth wide open, speechless, looking, wow, he just disappeared. And the angel comes and says, in like manner as you have seen him go, he's going to come again. And he repeats the fact that Jesus is coming again. And he gave us a promise and said, hey, I'll be back for you because I love you and I care about you. And he gave us a promise that he would return. Listen, Jesus made that promise and he's able to keep it. Sometimes we make promises that we can't keep, but he's able to keep that. He's able to do that and he will come back. The question this morning is, are you ready for his coming? In Matthew chapter 25, it talks about, we won't turn there for sake of time, but it talks about uh, 10 ladies being ready for the bridegroom to come. And it says, five had oil, but five did not have oil. And they said, well, give us of your oil. And they said, no, we can't give you of our oil. You got to go and get your own oil. And, and, and so they had to go and get their own oil. And while they were gone and getting their own oil, the bridegroom came. And those five went off to the wedding and the others did not. And what, what does all that mean? I'm just saying this. If you think about the idea of, are you saved? Have you been born again? He loves you. He cares about you. He wrote it down in Scripture. He sent His Son to prove it. Uh, he, he's given, he promises us the eternal security and that He will come again. And He loves you. He cares about you. Are you ready for Him to return? You can be ready. 
by putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your own personal Savior. That's what He wants us to do. That's why He gave His own Son on the cross of Calvary. That's why He wrote everything down in the Scripture. And you say, well, Pastor, I'm, I'm saved. I'm born again. Praise the Lord. That's wonderful. Do you know how many people are not ready? You know how full the world is of people that do not know the Lord Jesus Christ? We need to be letting other people know that God loves them. And He does love them. He loves the people that live wicked, vile lives. He cares about them. He doesn't approve of their lifestyle. He wants them to be saved, to repent of their sin, and to change. But He loves them and He cares about them. And He's given us proof of that. And we need to tell the world that Jesus Christ, God, loves them and wants to have their life changed. We think about that, may we be burdened for this world as we stand to our feet with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Father, we thank you just for your goodness to us. Thank you for the proofs of your love to us. Oh God, there's so many other proofs of love that you've given us. God, we're grateful for your great love toward us. God, may we recognize how great your love is. And may we love you even more because of it. Help us to be burdened. Help us to be concerned with the world that's lost that does not know you. God will thank you for that. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen. As we have a short hymn of invitation, if God spoke to your heart, the altar's open. Maybe you just want to thank Him for His love. The great sacrifice of sending His Son on the cross of Calvary so that you and I could be saved. Maybe you want to thank Him for the security that He gives us. For the promise of a second coming, He's coming again. 